This morning, we're going to uh, spend a little bit of time in chapters uh, 5 and 6 of Ezra. Turn with me to uh, Ezra chapter 5. Ezra chapter 5. I would also encourage you to take out the, uh, to uh, turn to the back page of the announcement sheet and uh, follow along in terms of the notes. Again, we're in a sermon series regarding uh, the fact that God disciplines those he loves, just like a good father or mother, a good parent, disciplines those they love. If you hate your kids, don't correct them. Yeah, it's terrible. David, King David, Melech David, must have hated his kids. It's very clear in the text. He never corrected them. Misplaced love is letting a kid do whatever they want. God doesn't let us do whatever we want. He disciplines us because he loves us. That's for us as individuals. That's for Israel, our people. Uh, this discussion of election, had an interesting discussion last night about this. God has elected us. He's chosen us. We transgress his instructions. He disciplines us but renews his commitment to us and renews us. That is the cycle constantly God does. And it's because he loves us. And we're talking here about this little piece of geography historically called Yehud. It was a province uh, in the area called Across the River that the Persians set up. Probably was something earlier set up by the Babylonians when they conquered the region, starting in 586. And we're specifically discussing how uh, the Jewish people came back from uh, exile and God worked with them in the land. Uh, the book Ezra is what we've been working through. Go back and listen to the sermons. Unfortunately, the first one is not there. But that was... It's reality. Go read the text for yourself. Uh, two aliyot or two returns. The first that we're still talking about taking place in around 536. And the text of Ezra um, is dealing with it today. The period of time around 520. All right. And then a second led by Ezra himself in 458, which we're going to take up in a week. All right, uh, who's got your back? I was going to show this very interesting video many of you would have liked about a bunch of football players, and they're all talking about the fact that they've got each other's back. You know, and I was thinking about uh, David who was in the, the military, and when you're in war, you've got to have other guys' backs, right? Otherwise, it's really hard to walk down a dark alley. And so having someone's back means What? What? You watch them. What are you doing when you cover their back? You're protecting them. Right. Can you see your back? Take a moment. Take a moment right now. Look at your back. You have a problem with looking at your back. No matter how young and you know, flexible you are, you cannot see your back. You can't. You have to rely on other people to watch your back. It's a really good illustration for community. And the value of community, having people in your life who will watch your back, all right? The value of marriage, have somebody around who can scratch your back full time, all right? We're going to talk about this topic, well, from God's perspective. God always ultimately has his way. Do you believe that? There are some that don't believe that. They believe that God can be defeated. God can be thwarted. He's not all-powerful after all. I don't believe that. The biblical text says God is all-powerful. God always gets his way. Therefore, God has our back. If we are following him and doing what he wants, he watches over us. If we are not following him and not going his way, there's no, 
there's no guarantee that he's got your back. He's going to let you wander into trouble because he's hoping you will learn from it. <clears throat> Let's take a look at the text, uh, starting in chapter 5. We're going to do a bit of a survey here. We're going to start with the fact that God is providing encouragement for those who act in faith. Take a look, Ezra chapter 5. This is page 819, page 819. We're going to survey this, so go ahead and turn in the text so you got it, all right? Uh, Ezra chapter 5, page 819, beginning in verse 1. It says, Now Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the prophet, the son of Edo, prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. So the chapter starts off with a reference to two prophets, Haggai and Zechariah, two books in the Hebrew scriptures, in the uh, Nevi'im, in the prophetic literature, toward the end of the prophetic literature. There are three final prophets, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. Malachi we're studying on Wednesday nights now, finishing it up this week. A couple of weeks back, we studied in the book of Haggai. These prophets, even though I use the word encouragers, God has his encouragers, it was a fine line between encouragers and confronters. A good coach encourages, right? Anybody play sports in here? A good, cor- cor- a good coach encourages. They never tell you when you're doing something wrong, right? They only tell you when you're doing the right things, or they always praise you. Is that what a good coach does? No. They tell you what you need to hear, and sometimes that's confrontational. They are calling you out. I remember when I was played halfback in soccer, the coach basically had us do Indian runs. We call them Indian I know it's very insensitive, all right? But Indian runs. And if we didn't run fast enough, he told us. And if somebody was falling behind, that was the one guy who got called out to sprint to the front. God has his encouragers. If you really want to grow in your relationship with God, if you really want to live your life God's way, you must listen to the encouragers and be willing to hear them say things that you don't necessarily want to hear. Morgan. I can pick on Morgan. He lives with me. Not every morning does Morgan look his best. Right? You wake up late. You'll roll out of bed. I'm praying he's brushed his teeth and he's out the door. Sometimes it happens so fast, I wonder if he walked or flew. All right? And if he really, because generally it's not that bad. But I mean, really, if he was really doing something, I'd have to say, Morgan, stop. You don't have any pants on. And he would say, wow, thanks. I have no idea. I just woke up. I was flying for the door. I forgot my pants. <laughs> Don't you appreciate it when people confront you about deficiencies in your life? Don't you appreciate that? You know, if you're on the job and you're getting reviews... Don't you appreciate it when your boss says things to you that will help you to improve so you can continue to to thrive and grow? But how many of you like it when people confront you on spiritual issues? Like, are you reading your text? Are you in regular community? You don't show up very often. You've got this or that action in your life that is, is not consistent with what God is saying. Do you appreciate that or do you resent it? All too often, all too often, prophets are stoned to death by people who resent the confrontation. 
God has his encouragers. These prophets are challenging the people, and it's, both, it's encouragement, but it's hard. Go back and read Haggai. Go and read Zechariah. Read Malachi later on. God has his encouragers, and those who are wise are God's followers. Take a look at chapter uh, 5, verse 2. It says, Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, son of Jehozadak, arose and began to rebuild the house of God in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were with them, supporting them. God has his encouragers. God has his followers. The followers are people that really they obey. They get the role of the encouragers. They obey. They follow. And generally, it's an act of faith. It's an act of faith. By faith, they realize that what this person's saying, they're an emissary of God, they're an encourager from God, I'm going to listen to them. Even though I may not fully understand what the outcome is. The reason why it's important is because, take a look at verse 3, at that time, Tatanai, governor of trans-Euphrates, so he's the real big shot, Shethar, Bozainai, and their associates came to them and asked them, who gave you the authority to build this house and complete this structure? They also asked them, what are the names of the men who are constructing this building? Tell me, please, what is your name? So that I can tell the people who have power and authority and military forces and torture chambers. God's followers are people that obey and they take steps of faith that can put their lives at risk. Because you know what? Not only does God have encouragers and followers, but God has antagonists antagonists, people that are not aligned with God, who have their own interests. Of course, who is the chief antagonist? Hasatan, the evil one, the devil, whatever you want to call him. There's a little phrase where God is active. Satan is always active, (laughs) trying to be active. Whenever you see God is doing something, you always have to beware because the evil one is right around the edges looking for ways to get in and to cause trouble. He is an adversary. He's an antagonist. Unfortunately, he uses people most often to do it. Some of them even believers. Believers that are listening to the encouragers, but they're not followers. They don't want to really do what God wants them to do. In this case, they're the ones that are like, I don't really want to start building the temple again because while it would cost me money, it would cost me time, it would cost me effort, I really don't want to do it. Therefore, I'm going to try and discourage the work. Three kinds of people. Question this morning is, who are you? (laughs) Are you an encourager, a follower, an antagonist? An encourager, a follower, an antagonist. All three of these individuals are always around. The ultimate thing is God gets his way. Is he going to bulldoze through you as an antagonist because you're in his way? (laughs) Or are you a follower helping to build the road or build the building? Or are you an encourager used specifically of God to provoke other people to the task? God always gets his way. Take a look again, chapter, chapter 5, verse 5. It says, But the eye of their God was upon the elders of the Jews, and they were not stopped until a report could go to Darius and a written reply about it to be returned. Initially, they went to build. And it was at a time in the Persian government where there was a little bit of a chaos in terms of who was in charge. And a person took over for a short period of time and that they were in time and the evil one was able to get the temple stopped for a period of time. And the people stopped. 
God sent the encouragers, Haggai and Zechariah, to provoke them to build, to challenge them and confront them to build. It took about 10 years, <laughs> but they started building. They, they obeyed, they followed. And at that time, there was a new king. And if we were to take the time to read, the new king is Darius, who was the rightful person of the throne. This is around 520. We don't read about this much with Daniel, by the way. If you go back and take a moment, think about Daniel. Sheshbazar is the last of the uh, uh, kings of Babylonia. He's killed. Cyrus steps up. Darius is in the text. A little bit of confusion in terms of the text, but it says that, that uh, Daniel lived all the, way time, all the way through until the reign of Darius. Is it this Darius or was it an earlier Darius? We'll talk about it later. But the bottom line is, is that this Darius is a real leader. All right? He regains full control of the kingdom after the little bit of the shakiness. And I think it's because God allowed all these things because ultimately God's going to get his way. And so this Darius knows what's going on and he gets the report and he says, let's search. And they search everywhere and lo and behold, it says in the text, verse 13, however, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Babylonia, King Cyrus issued a decree to rebuild this house. Even the gold and silver utensils of the house of God that Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple in Jerusalem and had carried away. All right, so you get to uh, chapter 6. Take a look at chapter 6, verse First uh, three. Here's the actual text. This is all in Aramaic, by the way, in the biblical text. In the first year of Silas the, Cyrus the king, King Cyrus issued a decree concerning the house of God at Jerusalem. Let the house be built as a place where sacrifices are offered, let its foundations be laid. Its height is to be 60 cubits and its width 60 cubits with three layers of large stones and one layer of timber. Let the expense be paid from the king's house. Also let the gold and silver vessels of the house of God which Nebuchadnezzar took from the temple in Jerusalem and brought to Babylon be restored and brought to the temple in Jerusalem. You shall deposit them in the house. And this is even better. Now then, Tatnai, governor of trans-Euphrates, Shethar Bozanai and their colleagues, officials, you guys, lead the work of this house of God alone. They find the document and the king gives the command. Let the work continue. Stop bothering them. And later on he says, oh, and by the way, help fund the work. I love that. Help fund the work. You guys were in opposition, but I want it done because it was supposed to be done. Didn't get done, but now we're going to do it. Help fund the work. So then we see that God gets his way. Now the question, again, goes back to the first three individuals. God has his encouragers. God has his followers. God has his antagonists. Who are you? God accomplishes much through those who act in faith. So the people that are followers and encouragers, God does amazing things. This we're going to see in the text. Take a look. Chapter 6, verse 13. We're going to skip ahead, though. Up there, right. Verse 13. So these guys, Tanai and the uh, Shaspazai these days. Uh, verse 13. So the el- 14. Verse 14. So the elders of the Jews continued building and prospering through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Edo. How many of you want to prosper? How many of you really want to do well in life? Are you following God and his instructions? You're not. You're not going to prosper. That is a strong teaching throughout the biblical text. It's a strong teaching. Follow God and his instructions. Not the least, take a look at the basic stuff. 
Read your Bible. Come to services on Shabbat. Meet with other believers. If you're killing people on Thursday afternoons, stop murdering. If you don't kill them with a knife or a gun, but you use your tongue, stop killing. If you steal paper from work, stop stealing. If you rob banks, stop stealing. If you don't tithe, you're stealing from God. Start tithing. If you don't share your faith because you're afraid of what people will say, start sharing your faith. Follow the Lord. Do what he says. Be blessed and prosper. These people did something that we can't really fully understand. They literally put their lives at risk to follow God's instructions. God came through because he has their back. And they start off on this work. They continue the building and they prosper through probably a difficult situation. But now it's because clearly God has their back and he is blessing them. The temple was completed on the third day of the month of Adar, which was in the sixth year of the reign of King Darius. We know exactly when this temple was rebuilt. Two results that we see in this text. The first, the result of faith was physical renewal. This renews the people as a nation. We today are the physical descendants of these people because they chose to live a life of faith. They chose to take action God established them. God blessed them. The people built and prospered because God's followers always obey God's encouragers. All right? Those who truly want to follow God will listen to those who are challenging them to action. The people built and prospered because God's antagonists were silenced. Because God always has his way. Always. Granted, in his time, his time is rarely our time, But he always has his way. The second result, and I think this is even more important, is the spiritual renewal. Take a look at verse 16. Then the sons of Israel, the Kohanim, the Levites, and the rest of the exiles celebrated the dedication of the house of God with joy. They celebrated the dedication of the house of the Lord. This is spiritual renewal. The people, yeah, the physical renewal, the place is rebuilt, but really what we see in terms of content is how they celebrated spiritually all that God had done. The people set themselves apart, though, in order to worship. And this is important. Continue reading. They did all these killing of animals, okay? They appointed the Kohanim, their divisions. They did all this structured organizations in order to be able to worship. But take a look here. In, uh, in verse uh, 19, the exiles celebrated the Passover on the 14th day of the first month. For every one of the Kohanim and the Levites had purified themselves, and all of them were ceremonially pure. They slaughtered the Passover lamb for all the exiles and for their fellow Kohanim and for themselves. So those of B'nai Yisrael who had returned from the exile ate it, together with all who had separated themselves from the impurity of the nations of the land to seek Adonai, the God of Israel. How are you different than the people around you? You separated. We live in the world. We're supposed to be in the world, but not of the world. Can people tell you're a follower of the Messiah? Can they tell that you live your life based on moral and ethical standards, not of this world? (laughs) We studied this last week in Malachi. Today, people are saying what is good is bad, and what is bad is good. The only people that are going to say that what God says is good are people that take God's word seriously. Those who follow 
him. Those who follow his encouragers, the prophets. And we have the text to guide us as well as good teachers of the text and good leaders. Do you stand out? Especially you young people. You know, do you, do you stand out? Are your lives obviously different by your values, your morals, even the use of your time, what you watch on TV, what you put in your ears and, and listen to? God determines the ultimate outcome of what is great to him. We talked about that from the book of Haggai. We say we want to do something great for God. Well, maybe what God wants you to do doesn't seem so great to you, but it's significant to him. Maybe what you've done doesn't look very significant to you, but to God it's great. God determines the ultimate outcome of what is great to him. Second, make sure he is your friend and not your foe. (laughs) When's the last time you asked God, are you my friend? And then you actually thought about, what does it mean to be a friend? You know, transparency, fidelity. A good friend is someone who has your back, right? Who you trust. In life, you need good friends who will have your back. But more important than a friend, physical friend, is your friendship, your relationship with the God of the universe. But the only way you can really have that relationship with him is if you are willing to separate yourself from the world, shed the immorality and the, and the sinfulness of our lives, and honestly seek him and desire that relationship. You have to make sure your life is ordered for worship. You know, I believe we as a community, we need renewal in this area. You know, There's not much passion for worship. Not much passion for, for learning. You have to renew that. That's not right. It's not right. We need to think about that. So many distractions in our world today. A few questions. The first one, how much time do you intentionally make daily to grow your understanding of God and of his scriptures? You cannot be a friend with somebody you don't know. <laughs> okay? I read somebody, there's a whole new thing now. People are dating online. They don't really meet people. They just meet them online. If you're involved in that, come and see me because that's just a recipe for disaster. All right, But that's how superficial everything is getting in our world. How do you really get to know somebody? You have to meet with them. You can meet them in all variety, but how do you get to know somebody? You have to spend time with them. As I like to call it, time and material. Time and material. You have to spend enough time face to face in a variety of circumstances to really understand who someone is. It's the same with God. You have to spend time with him on your own in scripture reading and just prayer and talking to him about all the problems in your life, but also in uh, just you know being with other people that profess your common faith. Worshiping God through liturgy, worshiping God through music, worshiping God through rejoicing in circumstances. How much time do we actually make for that? Second question, are you one of God's encouragers, God's followers, or one of God's antagonists? If you really don't spend that much time with God, unfortunately, you're an antagonist. <laughs> if you honestly say, yeah, I think I read my, bike a week or my, my uh, Bible a couple of weeks ago, you are probably an antagonist. I hate to put it so bluntly, but it's true. 
Because you don't really want to do what God wants you to do. That suddenly means you're kind of a roadblock in God's plan. He's going to bulldoze right over you if you're not careful. How do you deal with that? Say, okay, it's true. I don't really spend that much. That's good. Confession's good for the soul. How do you become a follower? You crack it open. You blow up the dust. You start to read it. You actually find people who can encourage you to grow in your relationship with God, who will hold you accountable to growing in your relationship with God. Don't be an antagonist. Ultimately, in the end, those who follow God win. Why? Because this whole earth is going to be burned with fire and there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. Those who follow God are going to be a part of the new. Those who don't care about God, they're not going to be on that new heaven and new earth. They're going to be separated from God forever. It's how God deals with him in the end. God always gets his way. He is a God who loves us. But in the end, he's going to say, enough with the antagonists. I just want to have my followers. <laughs> Hope you want to be a follower. Has God been building and prospering you? Why or why not? Just think about that if you can. How has God been building and prospering you? Maybe there's some small thing. You can go, I really do feel God's been blessing me. That's wonderful. Maybe there's some small steps of faith you've been making in some ways, some small approaches. I know uh, Cynthia and Amy and Carla have been reading through the scriptures in 90 days. That's a heck of a step of faith. And they tell me about it. It's like so much reading, but how wonderful it is. And some of you may go, well, that seems like a small thing. No, that's a tremendous step of faith to say we will commit to doing this. And I know they're being blessed by it because they talk about it when they're not expressing how they're behind, okay? The last question, up. Are you seeking personal spiritual renewal to celebrate before the Lord? Are you seeking personal spiritual renewal? Part of that is be sure you've ordered your life for worship because to worship God is really critical. To worship God is to recognize who he is and to express it from your whole being, all right? You can do it in any number of ways. But you've got to have your, your life ordered for worship. And the last part is, how have you been separating yourself from sin? Because if you really want to seek personal spiritual renewal, to be able to celebrate before the Lord, you've got to be willing to ask yourself, what in my life is displeasing God? You know, again, if you're not murdering people with a gun or a knife, maybe you're slandering them or gossiping about them or saying things that aren't helpful about them. You've got to stop that. That's not good. Or if you're stealing paper at work or if you're always blaming other people for your problems or you're cheating in some way. I mean, the bottom line is go down the list. It could be murdering people, like I said, or murdering people in a different way. I think we try to, if you justify your actions, that's more what I'm getting at. To say before God, show me my sin. Show me my sin. Show me where I'm, I'm not meeting your expectation. That's the kind of heart God wants. That is, in essence, what the people had to do to get to the point before God where they would follow him and his encouragers wherever he wanted to go and to recognize that they have to lay it all out before him. Show me my sin. Show me where I'm stepping out so that I can truly be who you want me to be, follow you the way you want me to follow you, and to be blessed of you the way you want to bless me. Because God, ultimately you win. Ultimately you win. And therefore, I want to be on your side. Because God has our backs. All right, let's close in a word of prayer. God, we thank you for the fact that in this world we have tribulation. There are people that just don't want to live their lives your way. But God, we thank you for the fact that because you are God and because in you we have life, 
We know that if we follow you, despite difficulties, we will be on the winning side. Ultimately, your will will be done. Your kingdom will be established. Righteousness will reign. Sinfulness and all the pettiness that goes with it and the not-so-petty stuff that goes with it will end. We pray toward that and we pray for the soon return of our Messiah Yeshua. We pray for the, for the, the, the joy and the peace and the wonderful things that are going to come. Help us to work toward that. Help us to focus on that. Help us to build your kingdom even as they build a temple by faith. All for your glory. We pray all this in Yeshua's name.